Welcome back to the pod. I'm Anusha. And I'm Aida. Today we're joined by Kevin McLaughlin. But first, make sure to follow us on social media at FlyOnTheWallPod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. Is that it, Aida? Actually, Anusha, you forgot to mention some very exciting news. As of this week, we are now on Spotify, yet another platform you can follow us on to keep up with all of our latest episodes. Speaking of episodes, our guest today, Kevin McLaughlin, is the Executive Director of the NRSC for the 2020 cycle. McLaughlin had previously worked at the NRSC during the 2014 and 2016 cycles, helping Republicans grow and hold their Senate majority. Hey Kevin, thanks for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I mean, usually I wouldn't make it to Georgetown University any other way, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, really excited that you are. Mm. Um, we're going to jump right in now and talk a little bit about your current job with the NRSC. Um, but wait, before that, you did a lot of work for the RNC and individual Republican senators. Let's start with something fun. Uh, one political profile you mentioned that when you worked as a director of broadcasting for the RNC, you once spent an entire day dressed as Brutus Buckeye, the Ohio State mascot. Right. What was that all about? Well, um, so being here at Georgetown, uh, a Jesuit university, uh, I am a Catholic, an Irish Catholic from the Midwest. So, of course, I am bound by my religion uh, and my upbringing to cheer for the University of Notre Dame football team. Uh, One of my best friends at the RNC was Brutus the Buckeye at Ohio State when he went there. (laughs) And so in 2006, uh, Ohio State played Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and so we bet on it. And if Notre Dame would have won, he would have had to dress up as a leprechaun. And if Ohio State won, I had to dress up as Brutus the Buckeye. So uh, as it turns out, the refs were against uh, not only Notre Dame, but also me because it was a fake fumble by Todd Zwickowski and Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame lost. So I had to dress up in his Brutus the Buckeye costume all day on a Friday. Uh, it didn't smell good. I'm not going to lie. So... Love that. Great story. Mm-hmm. So um, getting more into like the politics. Yep. So one of your jobs was with Senator McCain at the beginning of his presidential primary yep. campaign in 2007. So tell us more about how you got looped into the McCain world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, in 2006, late 2006 and early 2007, it wasn't dissimilar for Republicans as it was as it is for Democrats right now. It was just a wide open field, a lot of people getting in. Um, and so there was just a lot of opportunity as far as being a staffer. Um, I had been at the RNC for the two years before that, and uh, my boss was going to, I wish I had a better story about this. My boss was going to McCain. I liked McCain, still like McCain, um, but you know, it really was actually kind of a function of my boss was going there. He's trying to keep the band together. And uh, so I went over and joined him, and it was great. Um, you know, presidential campaigns aren't really my thing, and I decided that shortly thereafter. But, um, it was probably, I was there from February of 2007 to July of 2007. It was short, but it was a really, really intense time. It was obviously uh, early in the primary. Um, there was a lot of jockeying going on on the Republican side. And Senator McCain, um, while an incredible person, an incredible man, an incredible public servant of the United States of America, he had some detractors in the Republican pro- uh, Party, particularly in the primary, ba- in, the, in the base. So, um my, my purview was basically in conservative radio and also cable TV is where I spent a lot of my time for Senator McCain. Um, so we, um, 
Senator McCain was doing two things. He was running on two things at this time. One was a surge in the Iraq war, not popular with anyone, uh, but he was very dedicated to it and thought it was the right thing to do. The second thing was he had this little piece of legis legislation called the, uh, the, the McCain-Kennedy immigration bill with Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy, not a hero of the right, just so you know. So when you're in a Republican primary and you're authoring legislation with Ted Kennedy, that's bad. Number two on immigration makes it even worse. So it was a very intense uh, four to six months, uh, but probably some of the best and most, some of the best year, months of my life as far as professionally, and I grew a lot. Very cool. Um, so a little bit more on the campaign. One mm -hmm. of the more infamous moments from that campaign was when Senator McCain sang Bomb, 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 Moran to the tune of Barbara Ann by the Beach mm -hmm. Boys. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you handled that gaffe behind the scenes? We leaned into it. I thought it was funny. Uh, I still think it's funny. Um, and, you know, Senator McCain, uh, if, if nothing else, he has a biting sense of humor. Uh, no one has more credibility, credibility on foreign policy issues. Um, and no one knows the effects uh, of war better than John McCain. So I thought he was on pretty solid ground as far as a guy who could make a joke about something like that. A guy like me makes that joke, it's probably offensive and inartful. With him, it's a totally different story. So I know a lot of people try to manufacture it and make it like that he was making a joke about bombing an adversary. That wasn't the case. It was actually what I thought was great for us is uh, in the weird world that I live in is we were talking about foreign policy, which was his strength. So I'm more than happy to have that conversation with anyone when it comes to John McCain. Mm -hmm. So you wrapped up the 2007 and 2008 cycle as the communications director for John Cornyn's Senate campaign. Mm -hmm. Why the switch? Well, I got fired. Okay. <laughs> I got laid off. So it, what happened in July of, um, of 2007 was John McCain's presidential campaign ran out of money. And so literally there was a mass layoff. Um, uh, all the junior staff, like myself, knew it. Um, we all wore our black suits to work that day. Like we knew that like the gauntlet was going to drop. So, um, so it was, um, you know, it was a tough day, but it was also one of those days where, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, so I actually ended up at the state department for about 14 seconds. Uh, I couldn't stand it. Uh, it was way too big <laughs> and like, I just didn't care about it. Um, excuse me. And then a friend of mine was actually running, got a job, uh, running Cornyn's reelect. Uh, and so I said, I should come down and be your comms guy. This will be awesome. We'll live in Austin. This will be sweet. You know, let's go. So, so that's what I did. So it was, um, it was really, uh, it was a great experience. Um, but I'm from Minnesota. I don't want to live in Austin for the rest of my life. So I came back <laughs> And so after the election, you went to the Hill. I did. How was that different from you, um, for you from your past work on campaigns? So I think it's one of the times that um, I, I, the only times I think in my life that I felt like President Obama and I were actually uh, on the same page or having the same feelings. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, this governing is hard. You know, campaigning is fun and like it's, it's just it's easier to me, not that campaigns are easy. And I felt like there was, I remember early on, President Obama and his team in particular kind of having a tough time transitioning from that campaign mode to the governing mode. Campaigning's great because like you don't care about winners and losers. When people, when people lose when you're in charge and you're the governor, like it affects their lives really negatively. So it's hard to do that uh, and not have it affect, you know, obviously constituents that you want and that you've probably promised things to. Um, so it was hard. Um, and I had a tough transition. I don't really care about policy, to be honest with you. Like a lot of people like have a policy area or a policy issue they care a lot about. I don't. Um, so 
it was hard for me to get my interest involved as well. So um, I spent three years there. Senator Cornyn's like one of the nicest, greatest people on the planet uh, still to this day. He's very down to earth. He's very genuine. He's a great legislator. Um, but it wasn't the right, right place for me. It's not where I wanted to be. I knew that. Um, and so I left in uh, 2011, I think. So moving on to more of the present day, um, given your work with Republicans in the Senate, you are very well suited to make the jump to the NRSC. And one thing you did when you started at the NRSC in 2013 was revamp the communications training program for candidates and campaign staff. How did that work behind the scenes? So, you know, coming out of 2012, it was one of those times the Republican Party was in a very bad place. Um, the 2012 election cycle, we were supposed to take majority in the Senate. We didn't. Uh, it was self-inflicted wounds uh, with maniacs like Todd Akin and Richard Murdoch and uh, others. And so, um, you know, I actually was sitting there um, and I had been consulting on a lot of different races in 2012, Senate races primarily. And um, it bothered me because everyone was talking about data and digital. Oh, the Republicans are so far behind on data and digital, data and digital, data and digital. And I was like, I get it, you know, and we are and we were. But my experience was we had a people problem. Like our campaigns sucked. Our candidates sucked. And I was telling anyone who would listen, we can get, we can fix all the data and digital that we want, but if we do not have better people, both candidates and their campaigns that are serving them, we'll be in the same place in 2014 that we were in 2012. So um, we built uh, a couple of different programs. One was kind of a, camp, a, a communications boot camp for communications staffers who were going to work on campaigns. So we went that route, but we also had 2014, which is this class. Um, there were a lot of, we were a lot of challengers. We had a lot of targets. And so a lot of these folks were really talented, had a lot of skills, but they hadn't worked in Washington and were in, in this policy environment. So we, we had a, uh, what I would say is it was a, uh, a, a training program for all those, uh, candidates that it wasn't about like, this is how you should think about an issue. It was like, here's the history of the issue. And here's why Senator McCain gets to one place and Rand Paul gets to another place. And you should look at all this and come up with your own thing and, and go that route. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of travel. Um, and uh, I got to know a lot of different people around the country. It was probably one of my favorite jobs I ever had. Cool. Um, the last three cycles have been pretty good for uh, Senate Republicans. Pretty good run. Yeah. So what specific examples are there of your training program paying dividends in those cycles? Well, I mean, listen, I would start with 2014. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had... Um, a very simple goal. I just didn't want anyone to say anything terribly offensive that would either lose a race or cost us another race around the country. And uh, we won the majority in 2014 and net gained nine seats. It was the largest uh, uh, victory for any uh, party, Democrat or Republican, in you know, 25, 35 years. So that was um, that was very satisfying. Um, but then the second thing was, you know, I stayed on in 2016 and everyone told us we couldn't hold the majority. And I actually had people I worked with who said, you're crazy to stay here, you know? And, um, you know, I told one guy, I said, listen, any moron can win the majority one time, but if you win it and then defend it, then you've really done something. And so, um, you know, we went into it and, uh, you know, the odds were against us. Um, we knew we were sailing into tough winds, uh, but, uh, then we had, uh, some, Differences happened at the top of the ticket that uh, people thought were going to sink us as well, and it turned out really well. And I think it was preparation and hard work, 
I think that's really the, the biggest thing for anything. I mean, I don't think politics and campaigns are any different than any other thing. If you do the hard work and lay the proper foundation and do the hard right as opposed to the easy wrong throughout the entire cycle, things can work out for you and even in adverse conditions. And so, um, you know, I think there both the results in 14 and 16 were an affirmation of that work. So looking ahead, um, the map is a little less favorable to Republicans this cycle than it was in 2018 because you're now defending all the incumbents who won in the strong 2014 cycle. And how is this going to affect your strategy? So, um, you know, the numbers uh, are daunting uh, from a standpoint of just the sheer numbers that are up there. 34 seats, 22 are Republican, 12 are Democrat. But I will tell you that, like, one of the things on when you look, when you do what I do is you don't just take things at their face value. You trust but verify, like President Reagan said. So of those 22 seats that we're defending, President Trump won 20 of them. So the two we lost, Colorado and Maine. Very good incumbents there. So we have the right stuff in Colorado and Maine. Uh, of those 20 seats that President Trump won that we're defending a Senate seat in, he won 15 of them by 10 points or more. So while, yes, we have sheer numbers, it's a resource game, and like it's really, really important for us to make sure that we lock our, our guys down in the states where we can win, um, these are tough seats for Democrats to pluck off, especially with, the, with how far the party has lurched leftward. I think that if you talk about Medicare for All or the Green New Deal in one of these 15 states that President Trump won by 10 points or more as a, Republic, as a Democrat Senate candidate, you better, you better watch yourself because it's going to be a real tough road to hoe for them to talk about that kind of issue in those states. So I think there's some, some, we're getting some help. We have some foundational things that are good and we're getting some help from the left as we go through this campaign cycle. Awesome. So... Uh, a little fun thing we like to yes. do here at Fly on uh -oh. the Wall is the lightning round. Oh, dear. So we're going to ask you a few questions and just say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, this is All right, disaster. ready? Okay. Okay, first question. Yeah. Campaign or the Hill? Campaign. Ooh. Toughest re-election for a Republican incumbent in 2020? Um, uh, I actually, uh, I would say Cory Gardner, but I don't really think of, the, I know it's tough, so yeah, it's good. There's no <laughs> opponent really yet, so it's hard for me to answer. Yeah. Okay, last question. Craziest election cycle? Oh, boy. Uh, well, 2006 was a disaster. I was at the RNC in 2006, and uh, we can talk about We can spend a whole series of podcasts talking about the, the debacle that was 2006. Let me just say that it ended with Vice President Cheney shooting a guy in the face. All right. Pretty wow. crazy. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you have it. And on that note, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun talking Appreciate to you. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. What a fantastic discussion with Kevin. It's always great to hear about election cycles, especially going into 2020. Likes this episode? Want to hear more? Stay updated on our episodes by liking and following us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod and subscribing to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now Spotify.